Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Thrive Deeper. It is I, your humble host, DJ Payne, and on this week's episode, Matthew Jacoby and myself jump into the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, we're in his namesake's Gospel. We go through chapter 5, 6, and 7, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. We do this very quickly. Uh, we're going to fly through these episodes, so uh, make sure you've got your uh, pen and paper and your little Thrive Daily Reading Guide next to you there, ready to go through these chapters quickly with us. We try to pull out some of the big messages that Jesus is speaking in this, his first recorded public sermons, really. What is the message of this kingdom Jesus is talking about? So that's what we do on this week's episode. I've got a lot of uh, great stuff to tell you about at the end of this episode, so please make sure you stick around after the conversation with Matt and myself. I've got some great news to share with you after this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and downloading. After the break, Matthew and I get into the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, we just uh, had to do a restart of this episode, mm. uh, episode 51, because <laughs> if you don't know, we record this, as you might have heard at the end of the podcast, we record this at the studios of uh, the Geelong Gospel Media Incorporated, otherwise known as the radio station I work at, 96.3. Yep. And uh, every now and then we get moved around into different studios to be able to record, and we're in the main studio, Studio A, which yep. is the main recording studio here, and uh, I hit the wrong button. Yeah, yeah, we were just sort of talking rubbish and you hit the wrong button and I'm going to air uh, over a song, I believe, over, yeah, over talking so about the weather. Over the song and people, the phones are ringing, messages are coming in. I'm like, what is going on? Something's going on. All of a sudden we get the uh, program director running in here. You're going to air! That is pretty funny. Well, that's a pity because I was singing the praises of winter. I'm just sitting here. Uh, looking out the window on this rainy, uh, drizzly, cold, windy day. Yeah. And my soul is coming alive as I just love, I love winter. Listen, I've got uh, to confess, I, I love the rain. Winter yeah. I can take or leave, mm. but the rain, I love the rain. And we're recording on a very wet, rainy day. Mm, mm. I'm loving it. I get a bit, I, I fall into that beautiful, uh, bittersweet melancholy during the rain. I just yeah. get all romantic and yeah. everything like that. You, on the other hand, walk around like it's... Uh, Much more pragmatic for me because we've got, we're on tank water and we've come off the longest dry period where I've had to buy in, truck in water, yeah. which I've never had to do before. And, uh, and so this is just wonderful. We yeah. get free water. Yeah. From the sky. From the sky. <laughs> spare, spare a thought of, uh, of us in Victoria, uh, you know, down mm. here, especially regional Victoria. It is so dry. Yeah. down here at the moment. Well, let's move on. Now, as we uh, before we enter into the book of Matthew is is what we're doing in, at the moment, and we're just starting into the book of Matthew. If you haven't uh, caught up with us, listen to the last two episodes. That's the introduction as we enter into this uh, New Testament 
gospel, the first gospel in our, in our um, you know, as we read through the Bible, we come to the book of Matthew. Now, I wanted to touch really briefly, we're not going to be talking a lot, even though we're in the, in the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, we're doing mm. Matthew and Mark. Mm. Yeah. We're concentrating mostly on Matthew. How come we're not concentrating on Mark? Well, um, uh, Matthew is like an expanded version of Mark. I mean, that's that's probably not a good way of putting it. Yeah. I, I mean, just for the pragmatics of the of yes. the doing this, uh, I'm putting it that way for that reason. Because actually, I mean, Mark is uh, sometimes referred to as like a passion narrative with a int- with a preamble. Okay, know? and uh, it it's it's a very fast moving gospel, and he, uh, but he does record. Uh, you know, Mark does record. He just starts right at the ministry of Jesus. So starts with John the Baptist. Yes, doesn't include the um, birth narratives. And it moves very quickly. And it's interesting, there are some of the teachings uh, that are actually expanded in Mark. Yes. Uh, now, th- it's partly because he's more interested in that and, and more selective. So what he does include often he expands on. Um, when I say he expands on, he includes more. Yes. Because, of course, Jesus taught lo- yes. a lot more than is recorded in the Gospels. Um, and so Matthew wants to include more because Matthew is constructing, uh, in some ways, a much more sophisticated picture, uh, Matthew wants to present Jesus as the Messiah, the fulfillment of the scriptures, yes. and um, uh, to, mainly to a Jewish, uh, a audience. Jewish re- audience. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Mark is concerned a little bit more about, you know, just having a really action, fast-paced yeah, narrative right. to, yep. to fly through yep. there. Okay, so that, another, and again, no shade on the Gospel of Mark. It's just no, no, to, no. For the sake of ease, we're no, concentrating no, right. on, yeah, yeah, on, it's, on it's, the book of Matthew. Uh, so right. as, as as we we have just left last week, we've we've looked at Jesus emerging, finally ready for his public ministry yeah. as he battles Satan, defeats Satan in this first yeah. battle that he has yeah. for the forty days, forty nights, and the uh, and the and the theological, biblical arguments that he has with the enemy. Yeah. And now we see as we enter chapters four, <laughs> five, six, we enter into his opening of his public ministry. Yeah, that's right. So he. He goes about, and this is really important, he goes about, um, it says in um, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is is an incredibly significant announcement. I mean, the Jewish people had been waiting for the coming of God's kingdom, Mm. uh, as it were. There, There were many prophecies uh, about the reestablishment of of Davidic rule and and this idea of the kingdom is this idea that um, that one day uh, Jerusalem will be the center of the earth and 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 that God will rule over the whole earth, not just one mm. nation of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. That He will subdue the nations. You know, it's it's. Um, Psalm 2, you know, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and this messianic um, psalm that declares the scope of this expectation of the kingdom. Jesus certainly, um, uh, he certainly confirms that expectation um, and he, he certainly confirms the fact that God is interested not just in one people group but all every nation, every tongue, and that the, he, when he is announcing the kingdom, he isn't certainly announcing, as becomes clear later, he's announcing a kingdom that's going to spread throughout the earth. The, the interesting thing, though, is that when he announces the kingdom of God is at hand, certainly would have got people's attention. 
um, the, the, the way that he puts that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand mm. uh, is interesting because um, in some ways the, uh, the Jewish people perhaps would have felt that, oh, no, no, sorry, that's the wrong message for us. Mm. You, you, that need, you just need to say that to people outside. Yeah, you know? we, we are the <laughs> yeah, kingdom. Go tell that yeah. to the Romans, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or, or the tax collectors or the, you know. The sinners. Uh, yeah, the sinners, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and, I mean, but Jesus brings this, I mean, he's going to actually bring this message to everyone, but first to his own people. And what becomes very clear is that in the first century, the kingdom that Jesus is announcing is a very different kind of kingdom to what they are expecting. Mm. Um, and they are expecting a kingdom to come in a very overt fashion, a political military kingdom to impose itself over and above the kingdoms of this world. And in the Jewish mindset, that is going to begin with the um, uh, defeat of the Romans, the, yeah. their Roman overlords at the moment. So, um, he, he's turning that upside. So down. he's turning that upside down, yeah. and he's also turning upside down how this, who gets to be included, mm. uh, how the kingdom spreads. So there's a lot. So yes, he announces the kingdom. He says yes, the kingdom has come mm. because the king has come. Mm. So uh, the kingdom has come, but now he needs to really redefine what he means by that. Yeah. And of course, um, the the. The famous Sermon on the Mount that begins in chapter 5 is mm. the beginning of this countercultural move. And it begins with the words, blessed are, these are the Beatitudes. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> it's really profound how it this is. starts. Okay, so as You're going to stop me there for a second. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there for a second to set the scene because we've raced ahead in chapter yeah, 4. Just have, really yeah. quickly, we, chapter 4 is basically we see... After after Christ emerges from this battle, he goes to Galilee. He calls the disciples. Yes. And by the end of chapter four, it's like bang, we've got the pattern for the rest of Matthew. Yeah. The, his fame yeah. is is has gone throughout the land. He's moving beyond. His fame and reputation is growing beyond Galilee. Mm -hmm. He's got disciples following him. He's got large crowds following yeah. him. They are bringing um, every type of disease and illness. Mm. He's healing them. They're bringing um, those who are uh, demonized. Yep. He is casting devils out. Yep. And he's he's you know he's become. You know, very rapidly he's yeah, become right. he's become famous, yeah. and that brings us to chapter five, yeah. where seeing the large crowds following him, he walks up a mountain and says, "Well, um, <laughs> well, first of all, to whom does he say it? It's yeah. interesting that he says this to his disciples. It says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. I mean, okay. we, we perhaps have a vision of crowds oh, yes. and crowds of people surrounding Jesus. So, so are the beatitudes only to the disciples? Well, <clears throat> um, it's." Uh, I, I mean, I, I read some commentary on this, and the suggestion is that certainly other people may have slowly may, would have gathered around, mm. um, most probably. But he is. Um, it says that when he when he saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Wow! Uh, so, I, so it's I, I, almost I, like he wants to get away from the crowds for a moment yeah. to teach his disciples. That's the that's the sense that yes. I get from this. But it may be that the crowds would have will have come. And how many? What do we mean by disciples? Just the twelve, or hundreds, or whoever the people who are following him? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends actually um, who 
he's actually got with them at this stage. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Because he hasn't called all twelve yet in, in the narrative. It, you know, because because in the again we might be we might have seen too many movies and television shows here because we imagine yeah. uh, whether it's uh, you know um, all the way from uh, you know classic biblical movies being made, the Sermon on Mount is. You know, or even paintings. You know, hundreds of people gathered. Well, e- even the traditional site by the yeah. Sea of Galilee in yeah. in Israel. You know, they say, well, it's probably here because there's a big flat space on the side of this hill where there's now a, um, a farm or something, a vineyard, or and and they say, well, it must have been here because lots of crowds. He, he could have addressed the crowds here. Well, it doesn't say that. It says, <laughs> it says that he just took up his twelve disciples. Even, so it really even, could have been anywhere. I even know. think on the other end of the spectrum, we've got life of the life of Brian. You know, yeah. Monty Python's yeah. life, and that opens yeah. on Jesus teaching of the Beatitudes. Yeah, that's right. Panning way down to the bottom yeah. of the mountain, people going, "I can't hear yeah, him." Speak up. <laughs> yes. That's right. So I, maybe, maybe it's not exactly what we imagine. Yeah. Um, but talking of what you would not imagine, uh, no one could have imagined what he started with in that mm. block of teaching mm. because he starts with uh, the words "blessed are," and and immediately, see, so he's, it's like this is the honor roll. For, for who gets to be included mm. in this kingdom that he's announced. Who are the blessed who are going to be part of God's kingdom? This is what he's actually announcing here. Mm. And, and he begins with the words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. Now, they would have expected him to say, blessed are the righteous, but he's flipped this upside down. Remember, this is Jesus who, was, who, who, who later says, you know, talks about the first being last and the last being first. And, um, and so he is... Addressing those, and remember in the last episode, we talked about the fact that Jesus meets his, he meets humanity in the place of repentance. Yeah. So John prepared the way by calling people to the place of repentance. Yeah. And there is a sense in which that is where their Messiah, that is where they're going to have their rendezvous with the kingdom mm. in the place of repentance. And Jesus comes to that place. And this is, and the beginning of the Beatitudes, in fact, the entire teaching of the Beatos, mm. Beatitudes. In this, in this, you know, these these chapters here is expanding on what that even yeah. looks yeah, like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What does it mean to be in this place of repentance? What does it mean to be ready to be a citizen of this kingdom? Yeah, that's you right. You know, and he's, and it's totally not what people want yeah. to hear. And so, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. I mean, that's just that opening is is mm. uh, is absolutely stunning. Um, I, I've, there's this classic quote from Thomas Watson, a um, um, a, a, a Puritan, a mm. r- writer from the early Puritan uh, period, a beautiful um, period of, of Christian literature, and I've read reams uh, of it. And, and there's a quote from Thomas Watson. He says, um, Our Lord Jesus Christ, being as to raise an high and stately fabric of blessedness, lays the foundation of it low in poverty mm. of spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. Say that again. That's a great quote. Uh, he says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, being as to raise an high and stately fabric of blessedness, lays the foundation of it low in poverty of spirit. That's from Thomas Watson's um, The Beatitudes. We'll, we'll, put the, we'll put a link yeah. and the quote of that in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, that's great. There's a couple of books available through a publishing company known as The Banner of Truth, a trust that published a lot of Puritan uh, literature, his book on the Beatitudes and his book on the Lord's Prayer are just stunning, uh, beautiful works. Now you keep Christian saying that you keep saying the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are just that mm. first opening gambit from the entire Sermon of the Mount. Have mm. I got that right? 
Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. the because to beatify, you know, with, um, to, to is to declare someone blessed. To beatify okay. someone uh, right. that's in in you know theological language. So their beatitudes because he's declaring blessing. He's declaring who are the blessed ones. Okay, and he starts blessed are the poor in spirit. Then it's blessed are those who mourn, and and I think this flows out of that. It's those who. Um, uh, it's the broken spirit and the contrite heart of Psalm 51. Mm. And then um, blessed are the meek because there's a humility in that. Uh, you know, there's not this sense of entitlement. Well, we're entitled to be. No, it's blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And I think already here he's um, he's sowing the seeds for something that's going to be really his the, the most countercultural point in his teaching this idea of turning the other cheek and loving your enemies mm. because of course the jewish people in the first century think that uh the kingdom coming looks like them defeating their enemies mm. whereas jesus is just turning this on its head this is not about um uh ejecting sinners from the kingdom this is about drawing sinners into god's kingdom and um and the way in which the kingdom is going to be spread is through humility love and meekness so it's the meek not the i mean it's interesting at this time uh there's no 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 such uh this attitude of meekness and humility is not celebrated as a virtue in the the first century world you know courage is the ultimate virtue you know in the in the first century greek greco-roman world uh but he's saying blessed are the meek and um and of course even the jewish people saw really courage as a great virtue i mean they would have looked back to the maccabean revolt to judas maccabeus and and his brothers who um defeated the might of the greek armies and and established the 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 one hundred year Hasmonean dynasty, you know, mm. so um, so you know the Jewish people have got all this in their mind. You know, yeah. we need that kind of Messiah, but he's saying no, no, we this is not. You know, our battles are not the battles of, uh, you know, our battle isn't against fl- flesh and blood, as Paul says, and then as Paul's in in Ephesians, as he says in Second um, Corinthians, you know, we do not fight with the weapons of this world. So Jesus is calling his people to uh, to this state of meekness. And, is, and is, fa- it, is, is it as simple as sometimes I've heard people teach around the Beatitudes, this, this mm. opening passage? Is it as simple as you know opposites? You know, like blessed are the meek because you're going to inherit, and a meek person's not going to get much because they're meek, but you're actually going to get a lot. And blessed are the pure because you're going to say, like, is it as simple? I've heard people, a lot of preachers, yeah. just go, "Oh, look how exciting this is because he's turning everything upside down." But I feel that it's deeper no, than it's that. No, it's not. It's it's deep. It is deeper than that. Yeah. It's because it's not just a matter of opposites. It's a matter of this is actually how the kingdom is going to advance. Now it's going to be through. Now get this. I mean, he, he talks about so. Um, he talks about being merciful, right? Blessed are the merciful. He talks about being peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he even talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Mm. Now, this doesn't look like victory. This looks like an embattled uh, people. However, the, the cr- early Christian church, by applying the principles of Jesus, uh, actually ended up having far more influence, really, in a sense, took over the Roman uh, Empire quite literally actually by uh, by the time Constantine um, has this encounter, as he puts it, with Christ Mm. uh, in um, uh, 312. So, and I mean, the Christian church just spread... And 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 the kingdom of God spreads far more rapidly than they had have had ever managed to do at the point of the sword, mm. 
And it was by doing what Jesus said. I mean, and this is a, a, a movement that had been intermittently persecuted over 300 years. And yet through being peacemakers, being merciful, you know, through persecution, they they win the day. So it's it is. It's more than just the it's more than just an opposite. It's a matter of this is actually how we win. Thrive Deeper, it's DJ Payne here, and I'm with Matthew Jacoby, as always, and we are in the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 5 uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. We've just flown through the Beatitudes yeah. and how revolutionary they are. Matt, and, and we're going to try to cover the next uh, you know, couple of chapters really quickly. I'd love to get some spots that just you know, uh, brought, you know, really hit home with you on this reading through. But I'm going to throw, I'm going to jump in there first. This, this reading through, yet again for me, and again, it's it's a it's another theme. It's another pattern. It's another set of characters that we've got to keep in the back of our minds. Yeah. Is that in verse twenty there in chapter five, when Christ says, "And if your huh. righteousness," that was the exact one that I was going to talk about. <laughs> Beautiful, great minds think alike. I love it when he says, "Look, unless your righteousness," and this yeah. is in light of the whole theme yeah. of. You know, him saying, I haven't come to abolish what's gone before. I'm here to fulfill it. Yeah. And in light of that, he says, and unless your righteousness exceeds. Yeah. And to and to the people listening, especially the disciples, this is yeah. impossible to all. Yeah. Yeah. And, unless, uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These guys were professional spiritual people. The, these guys kept the law to the to the nth degree. Okay, retranslate this, not translate, re, retranscribe this in modern English language. All right, you're talking to a bunch yeah. of new Christians. Yeah. So rough, unless rough, your righteousness is greater than Mother <laughs> Teresa, <laughs> you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And and we just throw up our hands and say, well, that we're all lost. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> we are exactly. That's the point. That's that is the, exactly the point. Yeah. We're all lost, um, and 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 actually, so so he. I mean, it's interesting in that section because um, he says, "I've do not do not think that I've come to uh, abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to, not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them." So he's actually come to fulfil the law, mm. to keep the law, and he even makes a point in saying, "If you ignore, if you relax, mm. like in the translation, yeah. not yeah. if you relax on the laws." You're going to be the least in the yeah, kingdom of that's heaven. Right. And if you keep all of them, you're like he, yeah. he's really saying like it's he important. He's not abolishing the law. Yeah. He's come to fulfill the law. And um, in order to, first of all, in order to, on our behalf, he's fulfilling the law yeah. so that um, he goes to the cross as the one who has perfectly fulfilled our man. He's the perfect man who nevertheless, as one who is fully God, fully God, takes our punishment in our, in our place. And he actually, in a sense, 
he gives us his righteousness as as a gift you know it's like we get clothed in his in his righteousness this is the righteousness that surpasses the the scribes and the pharisees it's it's the righteousness that we receive as a gift through faith in jesus christ and paul talks about this in romans chapter 3 but actually there's a there's another element to this because um through through um, trusting in Jesus Christ and receiving that and having our hearts cleansed of guilt, we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And the idea here is that we won't just keep the law. God doesn't want us to just keep the law. He wants us to actually fulfill it. Mm. So, so in, in, a, like, well, in an ultimate sense, Jesus does this. He yes. fulfills the law and he does that in more ways than one. But there is a sense in which we also need to do more than just follow the rules. We need to fulfill the actual purpose of the rules and the purpose of the rules is to actually um, have us walking in harmony with God yeah yeah so so that like um, Jesus Christ came to bring that about through his sacrificial death so yeah. that we could be reconciled with God but also so that we could walk with God and live by the spirit so um, that that I think is is the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees is First of all, a righteousness that is gifted to us. It's not uh, something uh, as a, in, in terms of status that we have to, or position that we have to earn. It's yes. a position or status that's given to us. But even as a conditional thing, um, it's we we are we are meant to walk in a righteousness that is not a matter of just ticking religious boxes. Yep, kept mm. that, yep, kept that, yep, kept that. Yes. But that actually fulfills the whole purpose, which is about walking with God and and loving God and um and so so this is this is the idea uh, of that. Now the interesting thing is is that as he goes on, that is kind that statement in verse 20, it, it's a key statement yeah. because it, it, he then goes on to talk about the different aspects of the law. And and so many different rubber hits the road uh, yeah. aspects of daily life. And, and I think this demonstrates actually what he meant by unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees because mm. the scribes and Pharisees focused very much on a, um, you know, like I've, yep, I yep, haven't murdered, tick, bo- I've ticked the box. Mm. No, no, Jesus says, no, hang on a minute. Don't give yourself that much credit. I mean, this is the, the whole point here is that he actually wants one of the things that he wants to do is to demonstrate that the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is no righteousness at all. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know, he, he has this, he talks about murder, for example, and I'll just use this example because there are yeah. other ex- examples of this. But he, he says, um, you have heard it said, uh, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, now this is a very strong, this is in itself very interesting, this is a very strong statement. Yeah. And, and, it's really quite a bold statement. In other words, Jesus is actually claiming the authority to uh, expand and expand yeah. and 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 speak God and be like this mosaic kind yeah. of prophetic. Or, but or, even more than that, like he's almost saying, like when yeah. I read it again, there was a, there was part of me as I was reading, and I imagined him sort of saying, "Look, I gave you this law." Let me tell you what I was thinking when I gave it to yeah, you. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Me, that's a great let, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you what yeah. I was actually thinking. You've that's just a great take, way to put it. You've just taken it as a list to tick the boxes. Let me tell you what I wanted yeah. your heart to do at I the know. same time. Yeah. And so he says, but I tell you, and so because he's 
He's trying. Remember, he's trying to say that your righteousness is no righteousness at mm. all. Okay, so he's saying, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, mm. anyone who says to his brother "raka," now we don't even know exactly what that means, but it's like a term of abuse, yeah, idiot fool, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is answerable to the court, and so he's he's grading it down. He's going from. Uh, anyone who is angry goes from anger and then just like an offhand, oh, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then he goes down again. Now, now, and now it's just the fool. So Raka is probably stronger than yes. fool. It's probably a, a, cur a curse or something. Yeah. And then thirdly, he says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell, right? And it's just so so straight away um, he, he, is, he is showing... Actually, the spirit of the law is actually a heart orientation, and he 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 wants to point out that the heart our heart orientation is just completely wrong. And and I love the fact the very first uh, point that he makes around this, yeah. Like as he gives as he you know after verse twenty of chapter five, he says that bold statement of saying the righteousness, and then the first example of like another I don't know. There's another ten examples that he yeah. gives here. Uh, or, or even more. The first one he goes is anger. He puts that yeah. finger on anger. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Like that is yeah. the, the out of all the human condition that he could go to, yeah, yeah. it's interesting that he goes yeah. to anger first. Lust is the yeah. second one. I know. And it's like, oh man, he just goodness. starts ticking off the things that really... You stop there. You're starting to convict <laughs> me, I tell you. It's like... <laughs> but, the, but that's it. He puts his finger right on the sore spot in the oh, human yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and he does the same thing with, with adultery. You know, again, you know, adultery. Oh, the scribes and Pharisees would have said, yep, tick, box ticked, yeah. uh, haven't committed adultery. And he's saying, no, but if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. So he's really getting to the heart here. Yeah. This is meant to be a matter of the heart. And and they had turned it into this box ticking, you know, law keeping. So th this is the... Uh, this is what is really amazing uh, about this about this teaching, and and he also corrects some things that they had added in, um, and uh, and then it goes to the love your enemies thing, which is just uh, so countercultural. Yeah. It's like no one said this kind of thing. No yeah. one anywhere yeah. was saying this kind of thing. The philosoph the Greek philosophers weren't even like the Stoics, you know, who who were kind of re remarkably sort of ethical in a biblical sense, like lived remarkably mm. ethical uh, lives, or they tried to, at least they idealised about yep. it. Yep. Um, uh, you know, these other schools of philosophy, I mean, the, like for all of the perhaps positive things that were being said, no one ever said that you should love your enemies. <laughs> That's just absurd. So um, this is... Uh, this now is getting really, really countercultural, and of course, this is speaking against this whole revolutionary agenda. Yeah. No, no, we're not fighting against our enemies; we're loving them. Yeah. This is how we're going to win this war. And it's, and again, it's that same theme again. This is the theme that came out to me in this in this time, especially in light of the fact that I hear a lot of discussion still, and this is something that is, is be, has always existed and it will always exist, I think, in the church, as us as Gentile believers of the yeah. church. We have a tendency to put the Old Testament to one side. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. I like this Jesus guy yeah. better. And to me, reading this through again, it was like Jesus saying, "You've missed the point. You've missed the real heart in the Old Testament." Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and 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 with love your enemies, I think he really goes there and yeah. says, "You know what the Father is demanding of you, and yet you're doing, you know, yeah. this opposite." That's right. Well, it's important to point out actually that uh, he says, "You've heard it said." 
love your enemy, love your love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Mm. Now, it actually doesn't say hate your enemy. Yeah. Anywhere, yeah. in the, um, in the Old Testament. Uh, but so he's clarifying the fact that the hate your enemy people was was never part of it. Now some people would say, oh, hang on, well, what about those psalms that yeah. like Psalm hundred the second half yes. of Psalm one hundred thirty nine that yeah. no one knows <laughs> and nobody wants to know it. <laughs> yeah, I did work on that one a, a bit and and we just didn't get it completed for the in time for recording. But um, it's the you know David. Uh, sorry, it's not a Davidic psalm, but the the psalmist says there. You know, do I not hate those who hate you? I have nothing but hatred yeah. for them. Yeah. Now, and and people would say, oh, Old Testament, Old Testament thing. They yeah. they God wanted them to hate their enemies, but no, 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 no. This is like, it's it's imp- this is like a, a formal kind of hatred here. It's not personal. He's talking against personal. Yeah. You know, this personal hatred of. Of just wiping this whole group of people out, or, or um, actually, in the context of Psalm 139 and other places, this is like a formal hatred. It's a hatred of what that person represents in that formal situation. Yeah. So uh, it's um, it's like I mean Jesus says a similar thing when he says, "If anyone does not hate his mother or brother or sister, you know that there's that mm. saying. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it is uh, right now. We'll come across it, I'm sure. Yes. Um, uh, and what he's talking about there is that um, that in that situation, when even your family members r- represent a uh, a persecute, like a, a you know, uh, wanting to not just persecution, but wanting to draw you away from the faith, yeah. then you need to treat them with this formal hatred. Yes, you know, it's like yeah. you need to be able to uh, anyway. But that's yeah. so. so um, but this this is the countercultural thing, and and I mean. You know what would it look like if we can just pause on this, yeah. and we won't pause for too long on this because we, 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 I do want to get through that. In this, we're we're going to be doing well if we do with this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what would it look like if everyone who we as Christians, like, let's think even groups that we feel are opposing us and opposing our values, yeah. what would it look like for us to love them? I just, I think we just let's. Uh, yeah. That I think is a really imagine your question. enemy exactly. Imagine yeah. a group of people that you imagine to be the enemy, and, yeah. and and depending where you sit on the political spectrum, where you live in the world, what you read and consume in the media, you, straight away you would be thinking of whoever this class yeah, that's of right. people is. And, and people would say, "Well, loving people, we, you know, of course you got to tell them the truth." And I agree with that. But this isn't about this is about um, tone. You know, it's about uh, if if, I, if I've got a truth to tell you. I'm going to do that in a, in a relational context, and I'm going to do that in a way that's in the easiest possible way for you to receive. You know, I'm not just going to throw it in your face. And, yes. And so, so I uh, look. I think there's a lot to to work from um, here. The um, Jesus teaching about prayer is very similar in in when he talks about prayer and fasting, because again, it's the box ticking religion that he's that he is um, correcting here you know he's saying you know when you pray and when you fast don't do it out in the open go into your secret place and do it there um and um there's lots can that could be said about the the lord's prayer one the feature though here is is the way in which it begins sets up a priority of things yes uh begins with uh our father in heaven it's like connecting with god as father hallowed be your name Mm. the glory of god's name being the ultimate 
goal, your kingdom come, your will be, and then gradually and then it works down to our needs. Yep. That's a, the way that it works from that kingdom perspective. And that then works really well with what Jesus says later on uh, at the end of that chapter 6 where he talks about seeking first the kingdom of God. Uh, that's exactly what he demonstrates in the Lord's Prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of the other things that you need will be given to you as well. Hmm. Chapter 7 um, uh, challenges his people on the matter of judging uh, people because they, you've got to understand, in the first century, they wanted to be the instruments of God's judgment on the nations. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the way that they saw it. Um, you know, w- uh, this is going to be... Um, this is going to be like a new uh, a new conquest or something. But no, 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 Jesus is saying, no, it's not your prerogative uh, to judge. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, I, again, we know how that applies to us in an individual sense, but that, that's that um, corporate kind of sense of calling, the calling of God's people, Jesus is pointing out something there very profound, something we should take note of. It's not our job to stand in judgment on uh, uh, on the world around us. We, that, you know, we are not instruments of judgment. We are to be instruments of grace, yeah. bringing the grace of God to people's lives. And that doesn't mean that we withhold the truth mm. about uh, about the seriousness of the human condition and so forth, um, or about right and wrong, but. But the the tone, it's you know we have got to even, we've got to avoid any semblance of sitting on a high horse yeah. and judging the uh, judging the nations. Talking about the high horse thing, I mean Jesus even demonstrates that, yeah. you know, in chapter twenty one, and we'll yeah. talk about that when we get to it. But he he he, it's it's amazing, and I love <clears> the <throat> fact that even through. The teaching that we get here, you know, over over the Sermon of Mount, so chapters five, six, and seven, the Sermon of the Mount here in the Gospel of Matthew, yeah. he's turning things on its head. He's giving this example. It's amazing teaching all the way through yeah. these three chapters of just hit after hit after yeah. hit. It's like amazing teaching all the way through. Yeah. He finishes, uh, you know, with the, you know, you know the amazing stuff of, you know. Painting a picture, that visual, beautiful picture yep. of if you listen to my words, you're building a house on your rock, you know, on the rock of yep. what I'm teaching. And he's giving really solid stuff. And then we close out the whole Sermon Mount of literally camera swings around and the entire audience is sitting there with their mouths open going, "Yeah, this is real authority. We have never heard teaching like this. Which um, which shows that there were crowds that came around at some uh, yeah. at some point uh, during this because it talks about the crowds being amazed at his teaching. There we go. Um, now uh, he talks about in the last bit there he talks about the narrow and the wide, yes. the, the narrow way, and so he he the broad way at that time. The Broadway is this revolutionary cause. We're going to. This is how the kingdom is going to come. We're going to impose. You know, we're going to set up a independent, um, is you know, J- Jewish kingdom. He, he's calling them. You know, so much of his teaching is calling them away from establishing the kingdom of God in that imposing way. Yes, he's going to say in chapter thirteen that the kingdom of God is like going to spread like yeast through the day. You know, mm. through as he's already said through love and mercy and meekness and 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 then. Um, uh, th- this is what he's alluding to because the fact is that the revolutionary agenda is going to end in disaster and Jesus knows this. Yeah, He knows this. It's going to end in absolute disaster. The Jewish wars from 
sort of 66 to 70 AD, ended in the complete destruction of Jerusalem, mm. destruction of the temple. Um, you know, it, like the worst thing that to that date had ever happened to the Jewish people. So it was almost it was this is Jesus the prophet. Yeah. In one sense, he's giving us, you know, a, a life principle. Yeah. Of of you know the narrow yeah. gate according to his teaching, but then there's also this shadow of, and I know this is going to happen yeah. in, in right. the next so, generation. So when he's, you know, when Jesus is talking about destruction, he he's actually he's got something immediately before his eyes. I mean, we just mm. think, oh, he's talking about you know hell, or, yes. and well, and, he, and he is. Well, uh, yes, ultimately that there is that ultimately, but there is a very immediate thing that he yeah. has before him yeah. when he's talking about destruction. He literally this this nation is going to be destroyed, yeah. and um, um, and is going to go into exile not just for seventy years like under the they, they they're going to spend they're going to be in exile until. 1948, yeah, uh, effectively. Wow. So, um, the uh, you know, so he ends with this idea of the the two houses, one built on the rock, one on the sand, and then the storm comes, right? Mm. That the winds come and they beat against. And this is the this is what's going to happen, right? Mm. Uh, the Romans are going to come, and it's and and the house isn't going to stand, yeah, the and house the house David, didn't yeah, stand, yeah. you know. It and and um, so. This is a prophetic warning, really, that leads into the next, uh, the next phase of his ministry, as Matthew records it, where he's taught about the kingdom. Now he's going to go out and demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And we can talk about that next time. tell you what the gospel of matthew chapters 5 6 and 7 there the sermon on the mount from the words of christ himself so invigorating so refreshing so challenging in so many ways and uh oh man we just scratched the surface i hope that as you read through it in the last couple of weeks with your thrive daily reading guide that it was as impactful to you as it was for myself and Matthew. And I hope our conversation was able to shine just a little bit more of a spotlight of what God is wanting to do in all of our lives. Now, uh, you'll notice in the next couple of weeks, things will change a little bit for the podcast. We're refreshing the sound, as it were. We've got some new theme songs happening. We've loved the work of the amazing musician Rod Gear. And as, uh, as you hear at the end of uh, a lot of the podcasts, we really want you to head over to rodgearmusic.com and support this amazing local musician, a great friend, not only to myself, but to Matthew as well, one of the originators of the band Sons of Cora. Uh, Rod has uh, provided very generously all the music for the last 51 or so episodes that we have done. And uh, we're, we're doing a little bit of a refresh. We've got some exciting news and great new projects that we want to let you know about over the coming months. So you'll notice a bit of a refresh. Don't worry. Everything will be the same. The podcast will still be coming to you every Friday morning. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time. Every Friday morning, a new episode will be here. And uh, you'll just notice that we're, uh, we're just, uh, you know, tweaking it a little bit but as always we love your feedback so get a hold of us you can do that at thrivetoday.net.au until next week 
you might notice a few changes. It's DJ Payne here on behalf of Matthew Jacoby, Stewart and the team behind us. And again, I just want to tell you, head out there, support Rod Gear, Rod Gear Music, great friend to the podcast. We'll see you next week. For listening to Thrive Deeper. If you have questions you would like answered, contact us, the Thrive Today website, where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, thrive. <music>